0: I wonder if any of you can think of something that you would prefer to find empty rather than full. If you wanted to go for a swim, for example, would you rather be faced with this? Or would you prefer this? Can any of you think of something that starts out full but that you desperately hope will one day be empty. We have several nest boxes up in our garden, and one year we photographed this. It's remarkable how protective you start to feel towards these little birds as they're growing. You feel very much that these are our little chicks And you find yourself going out each morning to see if you can still hear them chirping away in the box. But as cute as those little chicks were, what we really wanted to see was this. Because an empty nest is the sign of a successful fledging. And there would now be seven little new additions to the big wide world. But there are some things that you never expect to find empty. And that's where the Easter story becomes even more special. Who'd have thought it could become any more special than Good Friday? What could be more wonderful than the fact that the Lord Jesus died on the cross for the cleansing and forgiveness of our sins? But God hasn't finished his work of redemption yet. There is still more to come. There were three groups of people who never expected the tomb where the body of Jesus had been laid to be found empty. Jesus had been hastily buried on that Friday evening as the Sabbath approached at sunset. If you touched a dead body on the Sabbath day, you would become unclean. And you'd be unable to partake in any of the Sabbath day worship. And as it was the special feast of Passover, nobody wanted that. So arrangements were made very hastily to have Jesus buried before the Sabbath arrived. Now in those days, when a, pe- when a person died, their body would be very carefully prepared for burial. Uh, covered in fragrant spices and oils and then wrapped in cloths and laid in the tomb. There hadn't been time to do all of that properly on the Friday. So the women who were his disciples arrived at the tomb early on that Sunday morning with all of the things that they would need to finish the task properly. But as they'd been making their way to the tomb at sunrise, one thing had been bothering them. This tomb wasn't down in the ground like most of the graves that we're used to seeing. This was more like a small room that had been cut into a rock face. And you could walk into it through a small entrance. You can still see tombs like that in Jerusalem and other places today. And the tomb was not closed with some kind of wooden door at the entrance... They actually cut a large piece of stone, basically into the shape of a wheel, and rolled it across the entrance to the tomb. And here was their dilemma. They had watched on Friday as that big heavy stone had been rolled across the entrance to the grave where Jesus was laid. But were they going to be strong enough to move it so that they could gain entrance? Back in Jerusalem, there was another group of people who were very anxious. And these were all the religious leaders who had sought to have Jesus crucified. They were worried that the disciples of Jesus might continue to cause them trouble. They'd all heard Jesus say that in three days he would rise again. And while they didn't really believe that he would they were worried that the disciples might try to remove the body out of the tomb and claim that, that that is what had happened. So they'd spoken with Pilate, the Roman governor, and he'd given them permission to put a seal around the stone and to post a guard outside the tomb. But still, they were anxious And then there was a a third group of men who had probably not been sleeping very well since last Friday. And they were the eleven disciples. Can anyone think why now there are only eleven disciples? That's right, of course, Judas Iscariot, the disciple who betrayed Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, was so ashamed and distraught at what he had done. He tried to give back the money that had been his payoff for his betrayal. And so distraught had he become that we're told he went away and hanged himself. And the remaining 11 disciples just didn't know what to do or to think. Jesus had tried to tell them many times that he must suffer and die and rise again, but they just hadn't been able to understand and grasp that he really was going to die. In Mark's Gospel, we're told that they were mourning and weeping on that Sunday morning. and They just mustn't have known what to do or where to turn. So we have the women who were expecting to find the body of Jesus in the tomb so that they could complete his burial. The religious leaders were doing everything they could to keep the body of Jesus in the tomb and the disciples who just couldn't believe how it had all ended and none of them We're expecting what happened next. Just as we find with their stories of Christ's crucifixion, the four gospel writers all record slightly different versions of what happened. They don't disagree with each other. It's just just that each of them remembers different things. Uh, They include certain details that aren't necessarily found in the other gospels and so forth. But that's okay. Because that's what happens when individuals retell a story that happened some time ago. All the big important details are all the same. And that's what matters the most. At the tomb, we're told, early on Sunday morning, just after sunrise, we find that there are three groups at the tomb. Well, first, there's the soldiers. They have, they've been there all night, of course, on guard outside to prevent anyone from breaking in. And then the women arrive. But then, so does someone else. Angels arrive. God's messengers. Well, they weren't expecting that. We're told there was an earthquake. An angel descended from heaven. And the angel looked like lightning and was white as snow. What a a sight that must have been. And the angel rolled back the stone from the entrance to the tomb and sat on the stone. We're told that the soldiers were frozen to the spot in terror. And the angel announced that the tomb was already empty. Don't be afraid. I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified, but look, he's not here. He is risen. Go and tell the rest of the disciples, he said to the women, that he has risen and that he'll see them again back in Galilee. Well, the women looked inside the tomb and in the tomb was an angel who showed them that the grave indeed was already empty. Well, the women ran back into the city to tell the rest of the disciples, but they would not believe them. Well, would you? Eventually, Peter and John were persuaded to come and look, and they went to the tomb. They found it exactly as the women had said. They went inside And there they saw the grave clothes that Jesus had been wearing in the place where they'd lain him. But Jesus himself was not there. And what of the soldiers? Well, they'd gone by the time Peter and John arrived. They'd gone back to the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem and reported to them everything that they had seen taking place. And The Jewish leaders must have thought that all their worst dreams had come about. And the only solution that they could think of was to pay the soldiers a large sum of money, asking them to spin a different story, that they had fallen asleep. Probably quite a shameful thing for the soldiers to say they had done. But that's what they asked them to do. We fell asleep and it must have been that while we were asleep his disciples came and stole away the body. Maybe quite a large sum of money was needed to persuade them to tell that kind of story. No one had expected it but it was true. The tomb was empty Jesus had risen. And even the soldiers belonging to the men who had had Jesus put to death were eyewitnesses of what took place at the tomb that morning. So it wasn't just a story that had been invented by the disciples. And those soldiers were around in Jerusalem for people to ask, What was it that you saw that day? What was it that happened there? And then of course, wonderfully, we are told that people started to actually see Jesus alive, risen from the dead. First it was Mary Magdalene in the garden where the tomb was. And then the other women they also saw him. We're told about two disciples who were walking home from Jerusalem out to another little town called Emmaus, just outside Jerusalem, and Jesus appeared to them on the road as they were walking. And over a period of 40 days, the risen Lord Jesus appeared to the the disciples. He did so at different times, ...and in different places. First in Jerusalem... ...where they had all been for Passover... ...and then later on back home... ...in Galilee... ...just as he had said. In fact, the Apostle Paul tells us... ...in 1 Corinthians chapter 15... ...that on one occasion... ...there were more than 500 of Christ's followers... ...all gathered together in one place... ...and all of them saw Jesus as he appeared to them. Luke, who wrote the Acts of the Apostles immediately after the Gospels in the New Testament, he was a medical doctor. He was a thorough man, a man of science, a man of great knowledge and learning. He tells us that Jesus presented himself alive by many infallible proofs. There was no doubt amongst any of them, that Jesus had risen from the dead. This was not a rumour that was just being spread by a few. Even the soldiers, remember, had had that experience alongside the tomb that first morning. All of these people had seen Jesus In undeniable ways, he was alive. The fact of the resurrection is far more than simply a good ending to the story. The Apostle Paul, as we read earlier from 1 Corinthians 15, teaches us there that Christ's resurrection from the dead is an integral part of his redeeming work. And of the gospel message. Do you remember Jesus in front of the crowd in the house where he just healed a paralyzed man who'd been lowered down through a hole in the roof uh, by four friends? Jesus declared that that man's sins had been forgiven, much to the disapproval of those who were listening. And to demonstrate that he really did did and does have the authority to forgive sins, he proceeds to heal the man. After all, being healed from paralysis demands physical evidence. Whilst saying that your sins are forgiven, well, who's to know? How could anybody know? And of course Jesus understood that, which is why He said that you may know, and he healed the man of his paralysis. Now that is one element in Jesus being physically raised from the dead. If God can't do that, then what can anyone make of the Bible's claim that God can bring us from spiritual death to life? but there's far more to it even than that. And it goes back to what we saw a few weeks ago when we considered the fact that as Christians, uh, our whole faith and experience as Christian people is based around the fact that we are united to the Lord Jesus Christ. On Good Friday, we remember Christ's atoning death on the cross as the substitute for sinners but that's not the whole story regarding the cross if you're a Christian it isn't only that he died in your place you died there with him God sees you as being united to Christ and with Christ in his death on the cross this is the basis of our being justified before God you are seen by God and considered by God to now be in right standing with him because of this union that you have with all that Christ has done and all that Christ is let me remind you of what we read back then in Romans chapter 6 Paul writes there, do you not know that as many of us as were baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives he lives to God likewise you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord now you see here's the thing the new life that you have in Christ is only possible because Christ right now is alive Listen carefully. Let me just highlight some of those phrases. Listen to the specific words that Paul uses. Listen to the order in which he puts those words because this is crucial for us to have a right understanding of what it is that the Bible is actually teaching and saying and especially when it comes to the truths of the gospel. Paul said we were buried with him through baptism into death. Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. We shall be in the likeness of his resurrection and live with him. Here's what changes a sinner and makes them to be a saint. Here is what makes one who was lost and far away from God and dead in their trespasses and sins someone whom God has brought near and how, who has renewed and caused them to be born again. What is it that happens? One, you die with Christ. Two, you are raised with Christ. And three, you live with and in Christ. That's the clear teaching of the Apostle. Lose even one of those three points and there is no gospel. Dying with him, being raised with him, living with and in him. So How can you be raised with Christ if he was not raised? How can you live with and in Christ if he is not alive? That is precisely Paul's point in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and so is your faith. If Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. And actually, you're still in your sins because the resurrection of Christ is an integral part of the gospel. And it's an integral part of the new life that you now have in him. Paul would continue in 1 Corinthians 15. Those who have fallen asleep in Christ well, they're gone and they're perished if Christ is not risen. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, then we are of all men the most pitiable if he's not risen. But, says Paul, but now Christ is risen from the dead. Earlier in the chapter he recalls all the people who've seen him Paul himself in a very unique and special way has met the Lord Jesus Christ risen Christ is risen from the dead he writes he's absolutely convinced and Christ has become the first fruits of those who have fallen Since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. As in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. This is the gospel of God's saving grace. You who were dead in trespasses and sins, God has made alive in Christ, Ephesians 2 and verse 5. And now those verses which we read earlier from the opening of Peter's first letter, they do really start to make sense, don't they? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, wrote Peter, who, according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Yours is a living hope if you're in Christ because yours is a living saviour with whom and in whom you have been united. Peter continues, You have an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. You who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. This new life in Christ which you now live in the world even though it's in this sinful flesh for the time being, that's just the prelude. Why do we continue to live as if this life is all there is and that to lose it would be to lose everything? Paul said that for him to die is not to lose everything, but to gain everything. Why? Because he'd immediately go to be with Christ. Because Christ is risen. And Christ is alive. And he has an inheritance waiting for him. And that inheritance is being prepared for him by the living Christ. And so is yours. If your trust is in him alone by faith. And one day this risen and living Lord Jesus will return again. And he'll receive you to himself, that where he is, there you may be also. That was his promise to his disciples in John's Gospel. That where he is, there you may be also. What, cold in a grave? No. In glory for all of eternity with the one who is risen and forever lives. How could any of this be possible if Christ is not risen? But now he is risen from the dead. This is the hope of Easter. This is the hope. Of the one who believes on Christ in saving faith. Lifted up was he to die. It is finished, was his cry. Now, in heaven, exalted high. Hallelujah! What a Saviour! When he comes, Your glorious King, all his ransomed home to bring. Then anew, this song you'll sing. Hallelujah, what a Saviour.